Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. What's up, guys? A little different podcast today. I uh, Well, we have our normal Wednesday podcast that I'll have up. Surely by the time you're listening, this both will be up. But I lied on that podcast, as I tend to do to you frequently, whether it's an intro or our plans for the show, plans seem to change. So uh, this is a hoop special. I have Bracken Ray, a good friend of mine, known him since you know junior high, high school. Uh, he was a staffer. Uh, he was a GA on Andy Kennedy's staff for four years at Ole Miss. The dude's a... Uh, Really smart guy, college hoops junkie. We, uh, I had him on. This was something in the works for probably about a week or so. I figured we'd bring him on periodically during basketball season because he's the most knowledgeable college hoops guy I know. And so I was going to stick it in to the normal Wednesday podcast, but honestly it was too good to be buried into a uh, already 55-minute long podcast. So I figured why not give you guys double the podcast and have it stand alone. So um, we'll get we got into AK. Uh, he was some, some AK stories. What he sees from this Ole Miss team. Um, you know, we got into some KJ Buff and stuff, some backcourt stuff. How they're better equipped defensively. Uh, what he sees this team ceiling being. A lot of really interesting stuff. If you love Ole Miss basketball and you love basketball, this is going to be a fascinating podcast for you because Bracken knows hoops better than just about anybody. And uh, this was great stuff. So we bounced around the SEC some. We got into an AK story. We got into a story about a gun and Rupp Arena, so that is something uh, that's one hell of a tease there. But um, without further ado, here's our uh, good friend Bracken Ray. He'll be on a bunch this year. Uh, hopefully, this is definitely not the uh, la- this is the first time we've had him on, but this will definitely not be the last. But without further ado, here's Bracken. All right, and we now welcome on a very special guest. He is uh, Bracken Ray, former GA for Andy Kennedy, former. Uh, guy who kept me off the floor in high school hoops. Uh, man of wears many hats. What's up, man? Hey, Brian Scott. How are you, man? <laughs> pretty good, dude. I appreciate you joining me. I uh, I figure we'll make this, if you're up for it, it's a pretty semi-regular thing through hoop season. You're probably the most knowledgeable hoops guy I know. I bet for you with questions fairly annoyingly all the time throughout <laughs> a hoop season. Uh, you are in Nashville now. Uh, what? Tell us exactly what you're doing. I think I have an idea. I just don't know exactly. Yeah, I'm up here in Nashville, um, and today I actually saw it's colder in Tennessee than it is in Alaska today, which is kind of a crazy to think about. But um, I'm managing a sales team in Brentwood for a company called ComData, so it's going great. Just a corporate sellout life, as you know. Corporate sellout life. I like the sound of that. <laughs> but um, that's uh, that's good, dude. So how much hoops are you taking in on a daily basis now? Man, this time of year, just after work, as much as I can get my hands on it, just watching whatever I can. Got to watch Ole Miss, obviously, last night, and then got to catch a little bit of the Memphis-Oregon game. Uh, I like to watch teams where, you know, there's staffers that I used to work with or am kind of connected with. Uh, so I find myself watching low- and mid-major games a lot, too. So, yeah, how far, like, in terms of, like, what, you were with AK for two, two years or three I was with them for four. Four, okay. So I guess yep. so. You were what last? What last? All four years of undergrad. Yep, all years of four years of undergrad. So I started the year, uh, Georgia Summers Moody year, the NCAA tournament year, and then uh, ended it on a little worse of a note with the twelve and twenty last in the SEC uh, year. <laughs> 
I imagine you have an AK story or two that we'll have to get to eventually. Maybe just one. Yeah, maybe maybe one, and maybe uh, maybe a story, just a team story as well. We may can throw one of those in there. All right, so let's uh, let's get to some hoops. I uh, we'll start with Ole Miss, and then we'll kind of maybe bounce around the SEC and some other places. Uh, maybe yep. get into some moving expenses and certain uh, certain things. Ole Miss is through. Uh, Ole Miss is through two games this year. I uh, I'm gonna throw some just very general observations I've had through two games at you, and we'll kind of see where you agree with me. One. I think this is a fairly obvious one. They're a much different looking roster, and I would say particularly in the front court, they seem like they'll be able to match up. I guess they'll have more ways to match up and be better equipped to uh, rim protect in the post because with respect to Dom and Bruce, they were fairly limited in that regard a year ago. Yeah, absolutely, and the best way to put it is they kind of look like an all-airplane team, like the team that gets off the airplane. They look a lot better, a lot more intimidating, but a lot more length and athleticism from this group. Um, you know, it is kind of you're young in some spots. You're going to have Brian and Devontae kind of your experienced guys, and then your other upperclassmen are kind of some Juco guys. But definitely a different look for this team, and I think, you know, going forward – and it's not it's still not there yet, but this is kind of what Kermit wants. He wants some guys that can play positionless basketball that are athletic and have a lot of length um, so he can go to that one three one and bother people like he did last night. So going forward, he's close. I think next year is really gonna be where you see the team is where he wants it to be. Yeah, so that was uh that's uh, a really interesting point you bring up there because last year I remember sitting in a uh, whatever Jim that was after they lost the NCAA tournament game, and he got asked a question that was basically, where are you and how much work do you have to do to mold this team into your image, talking about physically? And I think it was a kind of a loaded question because the, the way it was asked, it was obviously they're starting from ground zero because he kind of just inherited the pieces from AK's team, which were interesting, right. but not necessarily like what, what he was looking for. In terms of... Like, for someone that worked inside the industry and someone that's done that, how hard is it? Like to me, the amount of work he's put in to reshape the roster in a single off season is kind of remarkable. How hard is that to do? Like how how would you quantify how drastically different they looked in just one off season? And how hard that is to do? Yeah, I mean it, it's significant. You know, the the first key to it is he brought in a hell of a staff. You got Win Case and Ronnie Hamilton, who he brought over from Middle Tennessee, and then. Just the perception and imagining this, it took me a while to think about it, but this dude went to and stole somebody off of Arizona State staff to bring him to an Ole Miss basketball program that traditionally, you know, is kind of in that bottom fourth of the SEC and Levi Watkins. Levi has been a huge recruiting piece for this team. Ronnie as well. I think Matthew Morrell was a win case guy. So you've got some guys that are really good at recruiting and Kermit for years and it was what was kind of what he was really good at at middle was just evaluating when i look at a guy like kj buffin who last night has 23 and 9 9 for 13 from the field that is exactly what kermit's looking for in a guy kind of a high iq guy really long he's a perfect piece at the top of that one three one zone so kermit's kind of molding that roster last year you had three guys um that are you know potential all sec guards td obviously all already were was and then you have Devonte and brian who were first and uh second team all sec so he had some guards but now he's going to kind of go with a little more positionless basketball and a lot of length and you know he's kind of turning the corner from that standpoint 
KJ Buffin obviously is the kind of obvious guy that jumps off the page in terms of a guy who's made an incredible offensive leap from year one to year two. I think you probably anticipated that just with him getting stronger. But aside from just the raw strength and him being kind of better equipped to get to the rim and finish through contact, what do you see from him from a skill set standpoint that maybe you didn't see a year ago? Yeah, well, I think last night was the, the biggest key. Is you saw him in the high post of that high post, just knocking down shots. He kind of had he had a nice floater in this game that I don't think was there last year. So if when teams run zone against Ole Miss, and I think they will a little bit, if you have a weapon like that in the high post and you can kind of play inside out with KJ, I think it's going to open up a lot more opportunities for your big man, kind of a give and go, but also spreading those guards out and kind of having them dip to the corners because people are going to start playing up on KJ. Um, and then I, I don't know that there's like anybody that could be better at the top of that one three one than him from a defensive standpoint. I think his wingspan is close to seven feet. Um, he played it a lot last year. Blake's pretty decent at it too, but just kind of all around, he's kind of that perfect plug and play at that four spot uh, for the Rebels. One of the things that's been interesting through the first couple of weeks, and it's probably become a little more interesting just because they haven't had the option to do it, so you keep hearing it teased, is the fact that Kermit wants to play Buffin at the 5 and Henson at the 4 and kind of go with a slight small ball lineup uh, when Henson is gets back. And I, I think they hope to have him cleared for contact by the end of this week, early next week, and have him back. Uh, Seattle may be a little ambitious, maybe even Memphis a little ambitious, but for sure by the end of the month. I don't know when exactly it's going to happen. But you've heard, you heard Kermit talk about that last night. I think that it sounds like it's probably a little bit twofold. Is one, he's been wanting to do it since last offseason, probably times last year, because I remember him right. hinting at it at times last year. He just didn't think they were physically equipped to do it as freshmen. And secondly, I think, and this is two games in, they're probably, like, there's probably been a little bit left to be desired in terms of offensive production from Sammy Hunter and Hadim C. I think that'll probably come in time. But what is necessary? What is dangerous about that lineup? I mean, Kermit mentioned it's two guys that, in one, know how to run offense, and two are you know more and more experienced players by the game. But like, what is dangerous about that lineup? And that probably speaks some to their versatility too, isn't it? Because it's not like they're quitting on C and Hunter, but just having that option is something they didn't have a year ago. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know the big key there is from last year to this year is KJ putting on about 20 pounds because now defensively he can kind of hang in there a little bit more. But, you know, when I look at that, I think I think it's got a chance to work. I look at it from a defensive standpoint, too. You go from um, AK's last year to Kermit's first year, something that improved that drastically, and it went from bad to manageable, and I think this year it can go from manageable to really good as ball screen defense. You know, we're in an age now, back in the 80s, 90s was a lot of motion offense, but everybody is running ball screens, and you've got to be able to defend ball screens. Ole Miss last year jumped up 150 spots in rankings from the previous years in ball screen defense. You put two guys who are quick on their feet like that, being a K.J. Buffin and a Blake Henson in a lineup, and you go, I mean, they could potentially be a top 25 ball screen defense team um you've also you know blake can shoot on the outside he's probably going to play a lot of four anyway and it's also i think that's a lineup with blake and kj in there that kermit really trusts um you know they're experienced guys high iq guys hadim and sammy hunter the thing that i would preach to Ole Miss fans is just be patient because 
these guys have a lot of talent. I think there's some consistency issues there. Um, I think I saw Sammy Hunter practice at one point a few months ago, and he back to the basket looked phenomenal. I mean, like, he looked as good as Sebastian Saiz in the practice I saw, but it's going to take time. There's inconsistencies. You know, they, they, I think they're a little lost at times because it is year one for them. So I think that's kind of what to look for um, at that big spot, at that center spot. Everyone talks about – the question I get asked most about, like, this team or whatever is, like, what's their ceiling? And it's like, well, it's not really, like, a t- thing you can really put a cap on uh, in terms of, like um, – I, like in terms of where they're going to finish, like it's not like football where you're like, oh, this team's going to make an access bowl or this team could go to the playoff. Like in hoops, like you're an NCAA tournament team or you're not. And then I guess there, there, there's a kind of more general category of it being a second weekend team or not. But in your mind, like I guess which one of those three does it fall into? Because I think one, they're definitely going to be vying for an NCAA tournament spot. I think that's pretty much a given at this point. But it does seem like to me, if everything goes accordingly and they go healthy, this is a team that's uh, equipped to win a game or two in the NCAA tournament and could sneak into that second weekend. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, the way I look at it, um, it it's really hard to tell. I, basketball is such a game of matchups, and my, my example for this always, um, Bill Armstrong, who's a good friend of mine who's now at LSU, uh, we always talk about that 2013 season, and all the fans and everybody were like, okay, you win the SEC tournament, you win 27 games, how are we a 12 seed then? That whole locker room loved being a 12 seed because they saw Wisconsin up against them. That was a perfect matchup for them. So I think when you get to the NCAA tournament, seeding and all that stuff doesn't matter. It's all about matchups, right? Wisconsin played uh, slow, tried to get deep into the clock, and Ole Miss was like, you know, we're going to run, we're going to score a lot of points, and that's how they won that. So when you look at that, I mean – I think this is a team that maybe could crack into the top 25 again at some point like they did last year, but I kind of see them as maybe about a seven seed um, this year. I think next year is the year where you really could see, you know, preseason top 25 potentially and kind of a second weekend type team. The uh, and, and Conversely, on top of what you, you were saying about that 13 team or 12-13 yeah. team that went to the uh, – went and played Wisconsin – a couple years later, you lose Murphy Holloway, you lose Reggie Buckner, and you ran into that kid that drove Uber for Xavier. That seemed like a relatively <laughs> poor matchup. Yep, yep, exactly. And, I mean, that's that's a, that's a another good point of it as well. I mean, it, it, bas- basketball is such a game of matchups. And I think, you know, I mean, if you were to tell me who they were playing and not what they were seated at, I could probably tell you a little better. But, you know, from a seating standpoint, I see anywhere in that six to eight range, I think, is uh, is probably about accurate. A lot was made about how good Ole Miss was in the backcourt last year, and obviously they returned their top two guys there. Uh, there was a, I didn't really have much concern about them replacing the offensive production, uh, Terrence Davis, because I thought it could come mm-hmm. from a lot of different places, and I thought Shuler was capable of scoring more in than he did last year because that really wasn't what he was asked to do. He was kind of asked to move to point guard and really run the offense and was really probably the most invaluable. Like If you took one piece off of that team that would probably cripple them the most, it would have been Shuler, and you almost had that with the foot thing. You saw they kind of hit a slog as his foot condition got worse and then it got better and they played a little better. I don't think that was an accident. But what do you see from this backcourt? Brian kind of got it going after a slow start last night. But there's really been an uptick in Shuler scoring through the first two games, and I imagine that's probably here to stay. 
Yeah. Well, what I'll say about that is, first off, I never thought Devontae Shuler could make the transition to a point guard as smoothly as he's done. And that's a lot of credit to him and that staff. Devontae is a, he's a great kid. Um, and then, you know, I think the thing that you've seen from year one to year two to year three with him is just kind of consistency so far. And it's a small sample size because you're only, you're only looking at two games, but he just looks consistent. There was a little stretch in the second half. Uh, yesterday where he didn't look as good. But, you know, Brian's going to give you what Brian's going to give you. He's going to average about 17 a game this year, but there's going to be games where he's going to go two for 13 from the floor, and you just got to live with that. There's got to be people that kind of bring him up. Devontae's one of them. The thing that I see in this backcourt that worries me a little bit is who moves over to point guard after Devontae picks up that second foul in the first half or whatever the case may be. I think, you know, I just don't know that the Bryce Williams experiment at point guard is going to work a lot. Um, I like Austin Crowley a lot. I think he's a high IQ player. I kind of wonder if they'll plug him in over there some. And then, you know, Brian was a point guard for two years. So I could, I could see that happening um, as well at that point guard spot. Yeah, you brought up a really good point there because we were talking about this a little bit last night as the the exact same thing happened. Devontae went to the bench. I don't think it was a foul thing. I think Kermit's still just playing a couple different dudes and they took him out. I don't remember what the uh, what the situation was, but I think he put Bryce Williams there last night for a stretch of minutes. Like, is what are what are give me all of their options there because I think Crowley is one. I think Bryce Williams is one. I don't really know what Franco Miller is. I'm not sure he's a guy that ends up being in the rotation, but is that a possibility that you try until you kind of settle in on an answer? Yeah, I mean, and this is the beautiful part of non-conference. Um, and Norfolk State last night, I mean, this is that's not a cupcake team, right? I don't think they're great, but they're not bad either. I kind of think they're a little of a pack team. Um, I think it was a good challenge for Ole Miss, but... Yeah, I mean, you look at it, I, I'm just not, I think the Bryce Williams thing is, I don't think it's a talent thing, I just think he's a wing guy, he's more of your shooting guard. With Franco, I just don't, I haven't seen enough yet to know, um, but I, I think when you get into the Butlers and Memphis and even in the conference play, you may see a little more of the Brian or Austin Austin Crowley um, at that point guard spot. Um, it, it's it's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on i think that Devontae consistently can give you about 30 plus minutes a night but it's what happens you know if he picks up that foul or you know is hurt at some point where where do you go from that standpoint um and when i look at this roster one of my favorite recruits we ever recruited um was a guy named alex lomax who's now at memphis and he would be the perfect kind of backup point guard in this team right now um he's a high iq player plays a lot so that, uh, there's just a there's a little bit of a depth issue there, but I think that they can kind of figure it out as the season goes because there's enough talent at that guard spot for them to plug somebody over. Defensively, last night this was the first time you saw them do the kind of one three one into the two three. Mm-hmm. I imagine this is a team though that's like they had they they ran that a lot last year, and I think there were mm-hmm. a number of different reasons for that because they weren't a very good defensive team, and I think Kermit kind of just made them into I guess as good as po- he possibly could. I think he got just about the most out of them. Um, how much do you think you'll see of that this year, and how much more man do you think they'll play? I know a lot of that depends on matchups and that types of things, but just from a sheer aspect of being better equipped to play man, how much more do you think? Do you think you'll see more man? Do you think you'll see less of the zone? Like it seems like they yeah. had to use the zone more last year to where it's now just more of kind of an option they can deploy this year. 
Yeah, I think, you know, the big thing here is I think Kermit, with the exception of the Memphises and Butlers, would like to play straight man as much as he can non-conference to see where this team's at. The issue that I'm kind of seeing with the man right now is inconsistencies on help side defense, but also some of your guards are getting beat straight line drive just off the dribble. You just got to keep them in front of you. And I, I that happened a ton of, last night. Yeah, it, it, it happens. It happens to Berean a lot, um, and so that's something that. But what I think is okay. That game kind of was closed there for a second. So Kermit's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna throw this at them. And I mean that one three one is is really really good. One three one and a two three. If teams start just trying to go straight in those corners, um, a lot of these coaches, AK and Kermit, with that one three one, will trap those corners because once the ball hits the corner, that's when it goes from one three one to two three. So, I mean, they're going to be able to use that one three one as much as they want in non-conference, but I see Kermit kind of wanting to challenge them and play man as much as possible. But, you know, from a defensive standpoint, one of the encouraging numbers is, and I was looking at Synergy earlier today, after the first game, Ole Miss was fourth in the country in transition defense and then gave up like one or two buckets last night. So their transition defense has been phenomenal so far Kermit's not going to let them get beat down the floor I think um, conditioning is a lot of a lot of that as well so I think that's that's kind of a a noteworthy stat there as well going forward into um, this big week next week against Memphis let's jump around the SEC a little bit I uh, I've gotten to watch some a couple of the SEC teams I haven't by any stretch seen everyone yet is there anything that jumped out to you so far? Obviously, I guess the, the big thing to initially get to is uh, Kentucky lost to Evansville last night. I know that kind of happens, but still, I, I didn't have that pegged as one where Kentucky would drop early. Yeah, that was a little surprising. I didn't get to watch a lot of that, but um, that was a little crazy. And then, I mean, Florida State just pounced on Florida. I guess that was uh, Sunday. And, you know, a lot of these teams, Florida and Kentucky are both examples of it because Florida without Kerry Blackshear is still really young. It just kind of is going to take a little while. But, um, you know, SEC is going to be real interesting this year um, to see kind of where teams fit. I think there's, you know, 10, 11, maybe even 12 teams that could um, vie for one of those seven, eight, nine spots. So, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be real interesting to see. Um, you know, State didn't play that great against Sam Houston State the other night. They almost got popped. So there's just some sloppiness and sluggishness. I think a lot of it will kind of correct itself out as the season goes with some of the same experience teams. Is there a world? I feel a dumb asking this now after the Florida State loss, but again, it's just one loss in November. Is there a world with Blackshear and a couple of those other pieces Mike White has that Florida ends up better than Kentucky in terms of where you sit at the end of the year at the in the SEC? Oh, I could see it for sure. I, I could see that for sure. Um, I think, and I, I saw this somewhere, maybe on Twitter last night, that like Cal probably loves that loss in a, in a weird way because now it's like, okay, boys, like he can talk about that loss the rest of the season. You know, they played good early on. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, he's a, he's a player. They've got some pieces there. I'm not a huge fan of Nick Richards, but um, they, they, they've got a team. It's the same Cal, one and done. He's got a few upperclassmen and a grad transfer from Bucknell, I believe. But I think those two are kind of at the top, even though this past week, hasn't looked great, and then that 3-10 to spot is just kind of wide open in the SEC right now. 
that's the part of the league that's the most interesting to me because the league is probably as strong as it's been in I don't know how long. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't recall the first, uh, you know, we're about the same age, you know, five, six years of our lives in terms of SEC hoops memory. But it seems like right. it's about as strong as ever. Is is there a team, because I've made this point on radio before, do you think there's got to be some cannibalization with how good this league is? Do, like, it seems like to me there'll be a team or two that's probably NCAA tournament worthy, but they just get swallowed up so badly by the SEC and maybe they get dinged a little bit in the non-conference that just even despite, like, just sheer win-loss record or net aside, like, doesn't necessarily get in because of just how badly they've gotten eaten up by the league. Do you see that with any, like, I'm not asking you to name a team, but do you think that could happen to one or two teams to where this they end up with, you know, seven bids as opposed to nine? Yeah, I mean, absolutely it could happen. And, you know, the big initiatives from Sankey is, hey, let's invest more resources into these head coaching salaries and let's schedule harder. That's been a thing. You've got a lot of real tough non-conference schedules. The beautiful part about it is if you slip up, you know, once or twice to a team in the top 100 of net or RPI, whatever we're calling it these days, you know, it doesn't really hurt you that bad. So that's kind of the beautiful part of it. But, yeah, I definitely could see a scenario. I think there's also a scenario where the SEC gets nine bids this year. You know, I don't know that it's extremely realistic, but I think there, I think there's a possibility for it. The net RPI thing's interesting to me because when you were when you were on AK staff, it was all RPI. And then Kermit comes in and it becomes net. And last year's team by RPI standards, if you'd actually look at it, probably would have had some trouble getting in the NCAA tournament. And I think net's probably a better indicator of how good a team is, but it seems like it values um, not having bad losses more so, and then if you can peg a quality win in there too, because the two Auburn wins are really what propelled Ole Miss into not even really sweating it going into Nashville last year. Uh, I mean, as a former staffer who's probably like pouring a whiskey and, you know, hoping to God their RPI doesn't plunge after a loss or seeing where it goes after a win, like, what do you see the main differences in those two? I'm, like, I'm not asking you to play math nerd here, but, yeah. like, it, what it, does it value one thing more than the other since they switch metrics? Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, the big thing is there's the emphasis on road wins. Um, it kind of, I think it's pretty fair from a neutral court standpoint, which you're seeing a lot of neutral, neutral site games and non-conference now. Um, and I mean, that's, that's kind of the big thing. You've got the road games, the quadrants and the neutral site. I, I think it makes a lot more sense than the RPI, which was a little, a little dated, um, kind of in my opinion. We always kind of hovered around that 75 range, maybe with 15 spots, give or take, um, over, you know, the tenure, except for the last one, of course. But I, I think it just makes, it makes a little more sense. I think it's a lot more positively perceived from coaches and administrators as well. Um, so I think they did a pretty good job with that. Surprise team in the league this year? Uh, I would think Arkansas. I like that. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Muzzleman's a little hokey on social media and stuff like that, but I think, you know, this dude was an NBA coach at one point. He did a good job at Nevada. Uh, he's got a good staff at Arkansas. I think you need somebody kind of weird at Arkansas. That's kind of a weird job. I think it's a really good job, but um, it's kind of a different job. Um, but they've got some guards that can just get out and go. They beat somebody by, like, 50 the other night. So I think they're a team that um, – this year, 
you know, could kind of surprise some people, maybe be like that Ole Miss of last year. Um, I think going forward, uh, the best hire was obviously Buzz at A&M. I mean, he's, that, that's a perfect fit for him. That's kind of the job he was looking at. He's got an assistant um, that's got a lot of Canadian connections that has gotten a lot of four- and five-stars to him from that standpoint. So that, that's kind of what I think uh, SEC going forward from that standpoint. I saw a video last night as I was laying in bed, actually, of uh, Buzz being asked a question by it looked like a Houston Chronicle reporter mm-hmm. about the small crowds through two games, and he gave kind of one of those classic Buzz Williams monologues where he talks about, like, he doesn't really have time to beg people to come to games. He hasn't really begged people to do anything. He doesn't like owing people stuff. All that jazz. But at that point, like, what is it? Like, you mentioned a perfect fit. Is that partly because it's kind of a pretty solid SEC basketball program, but still a little bit in the shadows because it is a football school? Like, it seems like he would thrive very well in that type of scenario. You kind of had that in Blacksburg, too, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. And Blacksburg, what he did at Virginia Tech, I mean, that was phenomenal. I... Out of all the arenas I went to, and I don't know, maybe I would think the count would be somewhere close to 40, with the exception of the Tad Pad, their arena is just abysmal. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how he was recruiting over there, but he's a Texas guy. He's from Texas. Um, I think he's coached at A&M before. That was kind of, you know, one of his dream jobs. He's very well connected over in that area. There's a lot of money there. Um, and, I mean, that's, that's a job that's got a lot of potential. They've won a little bit recently as well, which helps. Um, but he'll be able to go into your Houstons and Plano's of the world and just go grab up who he wants to. And then he's got a staff that's good enough to nationally go get some top 50 guys. Around the before, I'll, I got some AK questions for you. Before we get to that, <laughs> just more try. Looks like you got a more traditional Duke team this year. I thought uh, – Michigan State looks like until I don't know if they're going to get if and when they'll get Langford back, but they look like they're going to be good, but have some issues. Just what are your impressions of a couple of teams nationally? Yeah, and Duke. I mean, you know, Shashevsky's had to do this whole one and done thing. It's different for him, but he's making it work. Um, you know, they they've got Vernon Carey, the um, Stanley kid. I think that's his name. Um, number two, who's got whose vertical is, like, higher than Zion's. But, yeah, you look uh, at your Kansases, your Michigan State, uh, Kentucky, Duke, I think Cole Anthony in North Carolina. I- I'm-, I'm not sure there's a better player in college basketball than him right now. I mean, he can get out and go. There's going to be some team that's going to pick him first, and it's, it's going to completely change their franchise from an NBA perspective. So, you know, I think there's uh, there's some good teams out here, but everybody right now is sloppy. Um, and everybody, you know, they're real strict about all these close fouls early, and I think it kind of messes with the flow of the game as well. So, you know, I think your typical blue bloods are kind of right where they normally are this year. AK's thoughts on the Tad Pad. Say that again? AK's thoughts on the Tad Pad. Oh, Rippy, he just loved it, man. It was his favorite. He he would (laughs) sleep there if he could. I mean, it was the Ritz Carlton of basketball arena. David Brandt tells a story about AK one day, basically calling him out to middle middle court and asking if he sees that blue speck up on the ceiling, and then he's yeah, basically I, like, "That's the yeah, I've heard that one." He always uh, he was real quick witted at any time anybody like coughed or something on the floor that um, it was the asbestos in the arena. <laughs> he wanted to point that out and let everybody know. <laughs> 
you mentioned uh, it, on a, on a somewhat serious note. You mentioned Buzz trying to ha- how the hell he tries to recruit to whatever Virginia Tech plays in. How did AK try to manage that? Like I, when you have an arena that far behind, like what do you? What are the? Like how do you navigate that roadblock? I guess is what I'm asking. Well, the the first thing you do is you act like it doesn't exist. Um, and that's what he did. I mean, I, he didn't take recruits there from what I remember. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest when we got the Tui Center, and that was before um, my time, but that kind of became the go-to for there. Like, we're doing everything at the Tui Center, and everywhere we're eating is going to be on the square for these recruits. So <laughs> he had to, I mean, he had to get real creative. Um, you know, he had to go the foreign track and the JUCO track and the grad transfer track for a little bit, but... You know, all in all, he did a really good job of recruiting guards in there. I mean, it was really impressive. He had an all-SEC guard just about every year. Um, he's got a relatability aspect with him with players that is just phenomenal. Um, and then he, he had some good staff members. Al Pinkins is assistant head coach at Florida. You have Whitey, who's the head coach there. Uh, Bill Armstrong, who's at LSU. So he had some uh, good staff members that helped him out as well. You mentioned the recruiting aspect, and I think this is the thing that gets underappreciated with Andy Kennedy here, is you now see Kermit in on guys more consistently, and you see them getting guys like Matthew Murrell, as you mentioned earlier, or Morell, however you say it. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. With it, like, what, what is the difference now? Because it feels like in a lot of ways, and I'm not taking credit away from Kermit Davis at all, but AK laid the groundwork that kind of brought Ole Miss basketball into the modern age. But from your right. vantage point now, like, just kind of what is the difference? What is allowing Ole Miss to get in on kids like that? Um, you know, I guess college basketball underbelly aside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think that kind of in the middle of AK's tenure, he kind of missed on some guys um and it was kind of like what are we doing here you know so maybe we need to kind of rethink and restructure what we do from a recruiting standpoint but i mean i think it goes back you know kermit is an elite basketball coach he i love the staff he's got i think you know uh pavilion is going to help a lot as well and already has so those are the main things um, when you look at recruiting from what stepped up. Um, AK kind of had to find these diamonds in the rough, your Chris Warrens of the world to bring in. Um, but, you know, it, I, the, it was beautiful to me to see, and a lot a lot of people don't know this, but AK and Kermit are really good friends. And that handoff there, there was a lot of class, a lot of respect there. If And, and this won't happen, obviously, but if we went to a football bowl this year, and we went to the Birmingham Bowl. What is it called this year? Is it BBVA, Rippy? What is it? What is it now? Some sponsor it's, bank or something. I, I, yeah, <laughs> whoever knows. I, I can. I bet you anything. If we played in Birmingham, AK would be decked out in Ole Miss stuff, rooting for the football team. He's still an Ole Miss guy. He was a double decker this past year. Um, he and I have had dinner in Nashville a few few times. So it was really cool to me because that's obviously you know you finished dead last in the SEC staff's going away. It's kind of an emotional time, but it was really nice to see that handoff go so smoothly, and everybody's in a better spot now. you got Madlocks at Memphis, you know, Bill Armstrong's at LSU, AK is killing it on TV, so it's nice to look back about two years later and see that everybody's in a good spot. You, That's a really interesting piece of this, because I remember sitting there at those press conferences at the end of the AK thing, and I was like, man, this is really tough to watch, because like, he built this thing from the ground up, essentially, and not that it's crumbling around him, because you remember, because 
like I think I feel like on the surface it was perceived as like Kermit Davis was coming into a really bad situation that turned out really not to be like in any aspect true, but. For him, at the same time, like I remember the initial press conference where he was like, "Look, I'm just going to go ahead and announce this. I'm stepping down at the end of the season. It's time." And then you had the state thing, and he ends up like I didn't feel like he deserved to go out like that, but it seemed like partially at the same time he maybe kind of had the uh, he was at peace with the fact that what he's done and that maybe it was time because like even if you if if it all comes undone in year. What what was it? I don't even remember what it was. 12, 12, yeah, 13? 12 13? I mean, yeah. that's a run that 95% of college coaches don't have. Did you, from what you could sense, is there part of him that, obviously you don't want to lose your job, but was at peace with the run he had and knew it was kind of just kind of time to move on? Yeah, and, and I'll actually, uh, I'll kind of lead this into a, into a story. But, um, you know, you look at it and it, there was just, his voice, he did not, think that his voice was carrying as much as he could have and what he told those guys he's like look guys i want to step down today because i want to see y'all succeed right this is not about me anymore this is about y'all you you, if you're somewhere for 12 years i mean that's a long time i think he thought that he had kind of maximized what he could do there um so you know it, it ended up being a very smooth transition but the story that i'll kind of lead you in for that is uh after all this happens, we are playing Kentucky in Rupp Arena. We've got an interim coach. There were like three staffers whose wives were pregnant. We're all dead man walking. Like, what is going on here? Um, and so it was, it was kind of chaos. And Mark Canvas Hyman gets kicked out like seven minutes. I remember this. Yeah. I mean, oh, my gosh. It was a nightmare. But we're in the locker room at halftime. And our phones are going crazy. Like all the support staff members' phones were going crazy. And we were like, what, what, what's going on here? And it was from the same number. So eventually somebody on staff answered it. And uh, they had found a gun, supposedly, in one of our players' rooms. So Whoa. We're, we're sitting here, and we're like, all this is happening. We're in Rupp Arena right now. I'm hypothetically thinking in my head because – if you've ever been there before, there is a hotel attached to Rupp Arena. They said they were calling the cops for this gun. So, like, hypothetically in my head, I'm like, we're about to be on SportsCenter, not top ten plays, because we're about to have players getting taken off of the court in Rupp Arena. Dan Wilkins probably got, like, a story ready to go for it. Like, we're all dead man walking. This can't get any worse than it is. So, long story short, they found out, Somebody called them like five minutes later, and it was whoever stayed in the hotel the the previous night or the previous nights before had a gun in there for a gun safe with a permit and all this stuff. So it had nothing to do with our players, but I was just like, I mean, this these past couple of weeks couldn't have gotten any crazier than they already were. <laughs> Good God, that is uh, that is insane. Is AK's transition into television? I don't think there was any more of a dead giveaway as to f- how he would do on TV or really just anywhere with the microphone in front of his face. I mean, anyone that's covered the guy that can answer him, you would obviously know that better than any yeah. of us. Uh, just what, what is it like flipping on seeing your old boss on television talking about seeing a makers in five minutes when you're talking about yeah, shot makers? Yeah, I mean, that was great. And uh, I've kind of gotten to know Tom Hart a little bit through AK over the past year. Those two together, especially for Kentucky games, are incredible, but... I mean, that was AK for four years that I worked for him. He's just quick-witted, and he's one of these dudes that can try not to be funny about something and just say some 
just total off the wall crazy <laughs> stuff. So um, no, I mean, there's been no surprise there. I think he's good enough to be on game day. Um, I, he he beats the hell out of Seth Greenberg in my opinion, but um, he's got a long career in that if he if that's the route he wants to take. I'm not asking you to divulge any secrets here, but that's interesting. If he were to get back into coaching, what job do you think would fit? And does he want to? Or do you think he likes television? What do you think he wants to do over the next five years? Yeah, I mean, I think his options are, you know, you either go all in full-time on this um, SEC network deal, which he'd probably end up getting moved to ESPN for a lot of stuff, or you go look at a job, and I think, you know, um, AAC, uh, maybe Conference USA-ish job, um, you know, is something that he could get. If I was him, I'd be picky, though. You know, I'm not if, – if it's not the right situation, I'm not going to do it because he, he's so good at TV, and I'm, I'm sure he's enjoying himself. I mean, he gets to watch – he's a basketball junkie, obviously, and so he's getting to, you know, watch all these games, and I think he's having a lot of fun doing it. Last thing for you, I uh, before we get out of here, AK was never one to hold back or mince words on anyone's performance, whether it was staff or player or anything. Did you ever get roasted by AK? I did. One time. That comes to my mind. <laughs> um, it was Thanksgiving Day, and we were playing Montana, um, and I was in charge of the, some of the stats and showing him where the ball was. And so... <laughs> I, I, I thought I'd shown it to him in the media timeout at the first part, but um, then I kind of dozed off and was looking into the crowd. I thought I saw somebody that I hadn't seen in a long time or something. And meanwhile, I don't even notice it, but, I mean, I'm just getting chewed out by him. He won't even remember it, but, I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it happened. Um, but, man, he was, he was great to work for. He is one of the most loyal people I've ever known. He's got a small circle, but um, he will take a bullet for people inside of his circle. So, dude, this was uh, this was great stuff. I can't thank you enough. We, uh, if you're up for it, we need to make this a regular thing, particularly during hoop season. This was uh, great stuff. Absolutely, let's do it. Let's do it. That is uh, Bracken Ray. You can find him on tw- what is your Twitter handle? Bracken Ray 4, I believe. Yes, I just pulled it up. College Hoops aficionado, former D1 staffer. Uh, Bracken, I appreciate your time. We'll uh, come back soon. Yes, sir. Thanks, Brian Scott. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.